welcome to stat i'm telling you all medical true crime stories and it gets bizarre karen wickham yeah she used to work in er and now she's sharing the knowledge so let's get involved hey, funny hey. and scary at the same time medical mysteries all facts she ain't lying no, I'm not. so tune in the stat if you dare because crazy things can happen anytime anywhere <laughs> yeah so true Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to Stat, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and I am your host, Garrett Wickey. I'm coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And of course, the lovely Mary. Yes, hello. Good, is here. Good, good day. Today. Good morning. Good, good afternoon. Good evening. Yeah. You know. Wherever you may be, whatever time you, you may be. You are a big part of Stat now. Thank you. Not just having to deal with me behind the scenes, <laughs> having my temper tantrums over the horrible human beings that uh, I cover, but uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, I try to keep you balanced. <laughs> no wonder you look exhausted at the end of the day. <laughs> okay, so today we're going to cover the uterus. I know I started on the, the uterus in the last episode, but the uterus, there is just so much to cover for this little less than fist-sized um, organ in our female bodies. This thing has a lot going on with it. So, yes. So uh, a lot so, can go right. Like so miraculous. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot goes right with the uterus. I mean, um, babies, you know. But a lot can go wrong with the uterus, unfortunately. So. Because it's regulated by basically hormones. And we are going to get into this. So I'm pretty much, this whole episode is going to be de- dedicated to the uterus. So we, I love we... you, girl. <laughs> I miss you because I don't have one anymore. <laughs> I don't know if I... <laughs> I don't know if I miss it so much. You know, when I was, um, after I had my hysterectomy, I was 37. I know young, but it was the best thing I ever did because... You know, I was, I was really suffering a lot with it. And, uh, so true to Karen, I hate speaking about myself in three in third person, but anyway, um, I, while I'm recovering, I write this song called my uterus <laughs> and, um, and I, my, my son was an accomplice. He was 16 at the time that boy put up a lot. Like he he was a good sport to have a, a mother like me. Um, so, you know, when they're at that age and like get so embarrassed, he actually didn't get embarrassed by the shit. He just got sick and tired of, of, of like, you know, doing stuff with me anyway. So he played guitar in this, this song and I have the video somewhere I've got to find, but I called it my uterus and it goes something like this. My uterus, I hate you. My uterus, how could you do this to me? And then there's all these lyrics, and it, and it ends up with this: my uterus, my uterus, my uterus, like that's how it ends. <laughs> that sounds like a typical song for you. See, I've been doing this stuff for a while, so I got to find the video. I, it's yeah, he's a good sport, good kid, sitting with his mother singing about uteruses. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now that I, you know, I've, I've got that out of my system, let's talk about this this thing this organ so i'm going to start off with prolapse and what is this well the uterus is held in the place inside your pelvis with various muscles tissues and ligaments and 
And when they can no longer hold it in place, there are four degrees of prolapse. Now, remember when we discussed the uterus, the lowest part of it is the cervix. So a first degree is when the cervix drops into the vagina. Second degree is when the cervix drops to the level just inside the opening of the vagina. Third degree is the cervix is outside of the vagina. And the fourth degree is the entire uterus is outside of the vagina. And it has zero support, basically, from supporting muscles. Now, I've seen this. Working as a new nurse, I was shocked. <laughs> I didn't know what What's to think. that thing hanging out there? Yeah, it, it's, it's quite significant when you see it. It's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's like a punching bag in between your legs. Well, giving birth is like a punching bag between your legs. <laughs> it's more than that. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's... But I mean, I was just like, oh my God. And This really happens. <laughs> it does. And I wasn't quite sure at first because actually I say new nurse, I was in school. And I thought, oh my God, this poor woman has like terrible cancer and anyway it, it wasn't that it was her it was her she had a prolapse uterus and that's why she was in the hospital was to get a repair um so anyway yeah it's it's quite shocking and uncomfortable and we're going to talk about um that so basically the supporting structures just weaken over through birth trauma probably yeah i'm going to go over the conditions that can can cause this okay so one of them uh is a connective tissue disorder like rheumatoid arthritis marfan's lupus or ellos danlos syndrome oh, okay. okay other conditions um that are associated with a prolapse uterus can be a cystocele which is a prolapse bladder so there's a herniation bulging um, of the upper front vaginal wall where part of the bladder bulges into the vagina. Then you have the enterocele, which is a herniation of the upper rear vaginal wall where the small bowel portion bulges into the vagina. Um, and when someone with this stands up, they get a sensation of, of like they get a backache and they, they feel like something is pulling on them. And when they sit down, they, they feel much relief from that. Uh, then you have the rectocele, which is a herniation of the lower rear vaginal wall where the rectum bulges into the vagina. And this makes bowel movements difficult to the point where you may need to push the inside of your vagina to empty your bowel. So these um, are different from a prolapse uterus, but you can have this with it because of the, the problems with the muscle. Um, and ligaments and stuff like that. So now here are the symptoms. You have a feeling of fullness or pressure in your pelvis. Um, and it may feel like you're sitting on a small ball when you sit down. Low back pain, feeling like something is coming out of your vagina, painful sex, difficulty with urination or moving your bowels, and discomfort walking. Now this can become a medical emergency because it can obstruct the 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 bladder or bowel to the point that you can't pass urine or bowel okay because it's just pushing so hard and that's a medical emergency because small you know you get a, a large bowel obstruction or your bladder just fills to the point that it you know you can't 
pass urine or stool. So the causes and risk factors for this. Pregnancy, childbirth with normal or complicated delivery through the vagina, weakness in the pelvic muscles with advancing age, weakening and loss of tissue tone after menopause and loss of natural estrogen, conditions leading to increased pressure in the abdomen like a chronic cough, straining, pelvic tumors, and accumulation of fluid in the abdomen like acetes. Uh, being overweight, uh, major surgery in the pelvic muscles, and smoking. So how do they diagnose this? Ultrasound, MRI, physical exam where you will stand, lie, and sit. Well, you can't sit, but stand in lying while coughing, and they'll, they'll feel the, uh, you know, what happens then if it pushes through. Um, and urinal obstruction. So what they'll do is they'll put an intravenous IVP pilogram or do a renal sonography. So they will look to see if there's an obstruction in the ureter and, you know, to what degree. Because if you think about it too, urinary tract infections are huge because you can't pass the urine. Um, and just the, the, the area and the blockage and the, the lack of flow and natural bacteria, that kind of stuff, is just not able to work the same way. So infections are a big deal. So how do you treat this? Well, first of all, Kegel exercise. Kegel, 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 Kegel. If you're sitting right there, listen, Kegel. Um, all together now. One, Kegel. two, three, <laughs> give me a K. Give me an Eagle. Um, <laughs> Kegel. <laughs> uh, medication, estrogen, because there is not enough estrogen. Um, surgery, hysterectomy, or a pessary, which is sort of a, a mesh support that's put into place to sort of hold it up. A little like, a, it's like a little, um, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? <sighs> well, all I know is oh, I'm making a cupping motion with my hands. Oh, it's like a, so... Yeah, it's basically like a little hammock. Yes, it is a uterus hammock. That's exactly it. <laughs> oh, hammocks are so comfortable. <laughs> Just to lie in I and feel swing. like I'm in the Caribbean. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, now I have to draw a uterus in a in a hammock. Yeah. Yes, you do. Oh my God. Okay, that's gonna be good. Give one. me such great ideas. Okay, so that's it for um, prolapse uterus. Next, we're going to move on to fibroids, also known as myomomas. Oh, I know that one's not easy. <laughs> and leomyomas. Just say fibroids. <laughs> yeah, no, but sometimes you'll hear the medical term and that's what that's what they're known as. Okay. Yeah. These are non-cancerous growths that happen to women in their childbearing years. They range in size from tiny to big bulky masses. They can be single or multiple. Multiples can expand so much that the masses can reach to the top of the rib cage and weigh quite a bit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> my eyes just got really big. You couldn't see that, but I was like, yeah. what? what? It's not uncommon, and many women may have some fibroids and not even know they have it. They're asymptomatic mm -hmm. um, and don't cause them any problems. And oftentimes they're found incidentally during routine exams or natal prenatal exams. So here are the symptoms. And of course it is, they're dependent on the location, size, and number that you have in them. So most often 
that you have a heavy menstrual period, periods lasting longer than a week, pelvic pressure or pain, frequent urination, difficulty emptying the bladder, constipation, backache, or leg pains. But oftentimes they don't cause pain at all. So there are three types of, pro of uh, fibroids. There's the intramural, which made me laugh because I think about, um, you know, Intramural running. sports? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they grow in the muscular uterine wall. Then there's submucosal, and they bulge into the uterine cavity. And then there's subserosal that project outside of the uterus. So... They all sound nasty. Yeah. So if, if let's say, like, a time to go see a doctor is if, and you should anyway, but... Um, you have a pelvic pain that doesn't go away, overly heavy, prolonged or painful periods, spotting or bleeding between periods, difficulty emptying bladder and anemia. Now, mm, that's a big one. Yeah. For some women, one of my exes had a huge fibroid and we knew that she had, like she had a heavy periods, but that seemed to be the case that she'd had for most of her, you know, I've heard most this of her before, years. Yeah. Just like, oh, my whole family's like that or whatever. Yeah. Everybody. My mom was like that. Yeah. And she, you know, had, um, she didn't, she was one of those people that you could cut her leg off and she would just be like, oops, <laughs> you know, like it, like it didn't like incredibly high pain threshold and just didn't really, you know, complain about, about much. Or just thought that was normal for yeah. their period. Right. And so one day we had come back from somewhere. And she was just lying on the on the yeah we had gone to the beach and she was lying on the bed in her bathing suit, and I saw that her lower abdomen was like had a huge bulge in it like she looked probably three or four months pregnant, and I don't know how I didn't notice it before but I mean you don't really just look at someone lying down and it it's just one of those things um, that didn't really notice, and I was like what the hell is going on with you, <laughs> and she's like yeah you know you know, as per usual. So an appointment was made to, uh, with a gynecologist. And as it turned out, she had a huge fibroid and, oh, also too, she was really anemic, but she had been anemic for a long time. So right. she'd go get routine blood work done and always anemic was, on, was taking iron supplements, all that kind of I stuff. wonder why. <laughs> yeah. And so had a total, uh, not a total, had a hysterectomy and, felt so much better afterwards but I just remember the shock of going whoa what is that but I guess what had happened is it had been growing and so it wasn't noticeable until it was like you just get used to how someone looks until all of a sudden you go whoa well and if you're lying a certain way like if you're lying and you're kind of laying back but your legs are hanging over like yeah expose things more kind of thing it so. was just like uh shocking mm -hmm. anyway thank goodness it turned out that that's what it was and uh she was able to to get um treatment for it and she had no problem with the hysterectomy never was going to have uh, children that kind of thing so yeah so that is uh, those those are the symptoms now causes they're not totally sure I had a client who uh, had five had a fibroid and um, they knew that's what it was and stuff because she wasn't pregnant and whatever and had all the symptoms and stuff she was uh, getting exam like this the doctor was doing like a external palpation feeling around and stuff and he's like oh 15 weeks and 
and the nurse. What? Yeah, no. And, the, and she looks at the nurse. She's like, what? And he, and he left. And she's like, 15 weeks? What do you mean? Like, And she goes, oh, like if you were pregnant, then that would be about where you were. If this was a baby, it would be the equivalent of 15-week pregnancy. Oh. He didn't say she was pregnant. He was just like, no, yeah, she this, knew she wasn't this pregnant. This sucker is about the size of 15 weeks. Oh, yeah. my goodness. That's funny. That's how he, how he like, measured it, basically. It by size Which of is, what, you know, pretty significant. I guess. Well, yeah. <laughs> Um, the thing is, they're not sure what causes it. So they believe that there's a correlation to some things, but they're not a hundred percent sure what causes it. So, uh, genetic changes in your body that lead to this happening. Hormones. So estrogen and progesterone, they play a massive part in every woman's life. An imbalance in that can be like, well, it causes a lot of our problems. Those dang hormones. So um, an upset in that increases the growth of the fibroids. Fibroids contain more estrogen and progesterone receptors than the uterine cells do. So the the actual fibroid is like surviving and sucking up the estrogen and progesterone in the body. It's like a alien baby inside there. Fibroids most often shrink after menopause because of the decrease in estrogen and progesterone. The other thing is called extracellular matrix. And it's material that makes up the cells stick together and it makes it fibrous. So they're thinking that there may be something going on with this. Also stem cells. Stem cells develop in the smooth muscular tissue and it divides repeatedly creating a firm rubbery mass. And so, yeah, and they can grow at different rates. Some go through growth spurts. <laughs> that sounds, yeah, it's like, oh, it's a bouncing baby fibroid. It's like it's gone through a growth spurt. <laughs> I guess that's what happened with my, with my ex. Anyway, <laughs> many fibroids that are present during pregnancy can shrink and disappear after pregnancy. So what are the risk factors? Black women are more likely to have more fibroids at a younger age, and they are usually bigger and more painful than women of other races. Heredity, it can run in the family. Other factors like having your period early in age, obesity, vitamin D deficiency, and drinking too much alcohol. Complications, discomfort, anemia, fatigue, that's what we talk about it. And some people, some women are so anemic that they will need a transfusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting about the vitamin D one. I, I discovered that in the last little while through work. I had sort of a, an interesting sort of, not a coincidence, but I had a bunch of clients that, that had fibroids and, and infertility issues and, and endometriosis and stuff. And it was interesting because it was one, it was actually the woman who had the 15-week old fibroid. <laughs> And she said, oh, I heard, I read something once. It was about um, longing for the home country, and which was kind of an interesting take. But she's South Asian descent. A bunch of the other clients were um, uh, Palestinian. So Middle Eastern, uh, South Asian, Latin America. So all countries where they would normally if they were living in that country, absorb more vitamin D from the sun. Ah. So it was an interesting correlation. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, that I had these clients and I was like, oh, 
This, and then I talked to the naturopath, and she told me a lot about the importance of vitamin D and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, and it was crazy. It was like, okay, this makes sense yeah. now. I that's that's uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. So, and there was, you know, I think a bit of a family. I think that's the one I've treated like four of the five daughters. <laughs> oh my goodness. That definitely runs in yeah. the family, unfortunately. And and also too, some of them were like at first didn't know is they all had crap periods. Again, you would go, Oh, that just is my mom was like that, my yeah, grandmother exactly. was like that, that but kind no, of stuff. No, generally periods are not supposed to be so bad that you have to take Percocet. Uh yeah. In fact, I remember you and I having a conversation. I'm like, How are you with yours? And you're like, Ah, well, didn't really hurt at all. Just, you know, had it in that way. And I'm just like, my God, I am so envious of that. <laughs> but again, in my family, it ran generation and generation on my mom's side. It was like everybody had shit periods and it was just like, okay, well, unfortunately you have that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't talk about periods, all right? Mm-hmm. Generation after generation going backwards. It's just something you, you sort of keep to yourself yeah. um, or it just wasn't discussed. Let's talk about periods. <laughs> Let's talk about uteruses. All right. That's a good one, Mary. Do you like it? Uh, yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so how did they diagnose these? Uh, uh, ultrasound and unfortunately transvaginal. Our favorite type of ultrasound, right, ladies? Not. <laughs> uh. It's like our female equivalent of the prostate exam. <laughs> uh, uh, lab, CBC, looking for anemia, that kind of thing. MRI. Uh, the other thing that they can do is called a hystersonography, where they inject uh, saline into the um, uterus, have it expand, and then you know they can get a better vision of how many fibroids, what kind, uh, that kind of th- uh, thing. Oh, your little fibroid babies in yeah. there. And then there's hystersalpingography. Hystersalpingography? Did you say so? It uses dye to highlight the uterine cavity and fallopian tubes on x-rays. And then you have your hysteroscopy. 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 <laughs> a small lighted telescope called a hysteroscope. Hysteroscope. It's got that damn O in there that's, that's throwing me off. Anyway, they, they go in and they look into, through the cervix, into the uterus and take a look around and see what they can see. All right. Like a little mini drone that just goes, eh. oh my God, <laughs> you're on today, Mary. Uh, treatment. So one of the treatments is called watchful waiting. Let's just wait and see what happens. But, you know, follow-ups, but still. Medication. One is called the gonadotropin releasing hormone, and it blocks the production of estrogen and progesterone. So it puts the woman into a state of menopause. The fibroids shrink and the anemia improves. And it's usually for a three to six month long period of time because you're in menopause before you're supposed to be. And all the things that happen because of that, such as bone loss. So you don't want to use this long-term progesterone releasing IUD. It relieves heavy bleeding from fibroids and symptom relief, but it doesn't shrink the fibroid. And the next one is tranexemic acid. Ow. That sounds painful. It's a non-hormonal treatment that helps with heavy periods and it's taken on heavy period days. Okay. Oh, I see that kind of a acid. All right. So there's uh, some like LSD acid. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, your uterus on acid. 
not i don't i don't like the, the thought <laughs> well of that's that. another one you gotta draw yeah uterus on acid oh my god i could just do a whole a uterus series. on acid in a hammock oh. <laughs> <laughs> i could do a whole like cartoon series of of, of the wandering uterus mm-hmm. mm, that's an idea okay non-invasive treatment so you can have an mri where there are they use sound waves and they heat and destroy small areas of fibro tissues um but it's really not used that much i've never heard of it um then there's minimally invasive procedures and one of them is a uterine artery embolization so they use um embolism agents or embolic agents are injected into the artery supplying the uterus and it cuts off the blood flow to the fibroids causing them to shrink and die um but the problem is is that the blood supply could be cut off to the ovaries fallopian tubes and other areas around there so that's something that needs to be used very carefully then there's radio frequency ablation they use radio frequency energy that destroys uterine fibroids and shrinks the blood vessels that feed them and that usually is done laparoscopically but it can be done transcervically um, it's very- similar to like um, freezing. Okay. Okay. And so basically, uh, you know, it reminds me cryo of stuff where they would go in and just, you know, yeah, freeze it. That reminds me of the woman who's who scared away a cougar that was tracking her by playing Metallica on her phone. What? Where did that come from? <laughs> Radio frequency. Oh my god! Just- so this Canadian woman in like like figure is inside of her uterus. Playing Metallica to make sure that make... Where did this come out of your brain? <laughs> You're too much like me today. I was thinking about... You were saying like radio frequency. And I was thinking, yeah, let's put some heavy metal in there and just shake those fibroids <laughs> out of there. <laughs> but no, there was a woman who was being stalked by a I, cougar. Yes. And, and she... she Blasted Metallica. Blasted Metallica and it ran away. <laughs> yeah, that's a Canadian way of dealing with things. Okay, so there's a laparoscopic or robotic myomectomy. So basically the surgeon removes the fibroids, leaving the uterus in place. You have a hysteroscopic myomectomy uh, for submucusal fibroids, and they remove them by going through the vagina in um, to the cervix and up into the uterus. Then there's endometrial ablation, which is a specialized surgical tool uh, inserted into the vagina, into the uterus, that uses heat and microwave energy hot water or electrical current to destroy the lining of the i wrote universe <laughs> oh no that would be bad i must have gotten distracted when i was writing that the <laughs> lining of the universe the universe the lining of the uterus um but it ends the period or reduces menstrual flow it doesn't remove fibroids outside of the interior lining of the uterus and the person that gets this is unlikely to get pregnant um afterwards and it must be uh done with the thought that you could have an ectopic pregnancy if you were able to get pregnant and then you have your traditional surgical procedures abdominal hysterectomy okay for multiple fibroids that are very large and very deep previously hysterectomy was the only option but of course a woman is sterile after that. But if the fibroids are so huge, she's not going to get pregnant to begin with. So, yeah, that's basically the what you're looking at for treatments. So, 
you know. So they suck, basically. Well, little ones, they can come and go, and it's when they turn into many big suckers that it becomes a big problem. So, yeah. Okay. The next thing we're going to talk about here is endometriosis. This is an incredibly painful condition. Some women don't have too much pain with it, but that is not, that is rare. Okay, so let's let's go over what endometriosis is. The inner lining of the endometrium builds up over a month and then sheds when the woman doesn't become pregnant. However, the tissues that are similar to this, um, that, that build inside the endometrium, grow outside of the uterus. And this can involve the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, and tissue lining the inside of the pelvis. Now, the tissue acts exactly like it would inside the uterus, is that it thickens, breaks down, sloughs, and bleeds. And it has no way to exit the body. Therefore, it becomes trapped. If it involves ovaries, the cysts are known as endometriomas, and the surrounding tissue can become irritated and eventually developing scar tissue and adhesions. And these adhesions can cause pelvic tissues and organs to stick together. So what are the symptoms? Painful period, pelvic pain and cramping, lower back pain and abdominal pain before, during, and after the cycle. Painful sex, pain with bowel movements or urination during your menstrual period, excessive bleeding during and between your periods, infertility, Endometriosis is um, often first diagnosed when investigating infertility. And other symptoms are fatigue, diarrhea, constipation, bloating, nausea, especially during periods. Now, these are nonspecific um, symptoms because you can relate them to other things. And like I said, pain may not be a symptom because some women have severe advanced endometriosis and little pain and others have, you know, not as bad, but have extreme pain. And oftentimes it's, it's uh, mistaken for other conditions such as PID or IBS. So pelvic inflammatory inflammatory disease or, um, irritable bowel. Yeah. So here are some of the causes. One of them is called uh, retrograde menstruation. So this is when menstrual blood containing endometrial cells flow back through the fallopian tubes and into the pelvic cavity instead of out of the body. So they go backwards or um, flow up. The cells stick to the pelvic walls and the surfaces of the pelvic organs and it grows and thickens and bleeds through that cycle. Another one is called transformation of peritoneal cells, also known as the induction therapy. Hormones or immune factors promote the transformation of peritoneal cells. So the cells that line the inside of your abdomen turn into endometrial cells. They're not sure how it happens, but they feel that that is possible or a possibility. The other is embryonic cell transformation, where hormones like estrogen may transform embryonic cells into endometrial-like cells and implant in different areas in this of the pelvic cavity and this usually happens during uh, during puberty 
surgical scar implantation. So they're thinking that maybe you have a C-section and endometrial cells, uh, you know, attached to the surrounding areas and the surgical incision causing it. Endometrial cell transplant, where blood or lymph fluid may transport endometrial cells to other parts of the body. And uh, maybe uh, an immune system disorder that makes the body unable to recognize and destroy endometrial-like tissues that are growing outside of the uterus. So a lot of, a lot of ideas, a lot of thoughts. Some of them like, kind of creep me out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just uh, these traveling endometrial cells going, <laughs> I'm going to implant, implant here and uh, I'm going to make your life miserable. They're like little uh, little renegades. They're just like, we're out of here. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. Gonna uh, go, go explore. So the risk... Greener pastures. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Mary. You are... I, I love your energy today. <laughs> um, risk factors. Never giving birth. Have never given birth before. Starting a period at an early age or going through menopause at an older age. Short menstrual cycles that are less than 27 days higher levels of estrogen in your body or a greater lifetime exposure to estrogen um, that your body produces. Low body mass index, family history, and other disorders of the reproductive system. Complications, the big one, infertility. That's the main complication. Uh, endometriosis may obstruct the fallopian tube and keep the egg and sperm from meeting up and turning into a human. And there's this thought that it's possible that this may actually somehow um, damage the egg or sperm, endometriosis, mm -hmm. the cells, uh, they can be damaged by this condition. And um, women with mild to moderate endometriosis may still conceive and carry a pregnancy to term, but they're usually advised to have children in earlier than later in case it progresses. And as for, uh, as for cancer, there's no real correlation with endometriosis and cancer. I thought of another, uh, another complication besides infertility. What? Pain. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a big one. The fifth vital sign. Pain, just misery. <laughs> I've had so many women. Anemia, of course, would be one. But I've had so many women who just uh, endometriosis and just pain, pain, pain. That's what I had. That's why I got a hysterectomy. I was like, not dealing with this. Get it out. <laughs> Among other reasons. <laughs> I already had my baby. Okay, the next thing we're going to talk about is Asherman syndrome. It's a rare condition where scar tissue builds up inside the uterus, and it creates less space inside the uterus. And it's an acquired condition caused by either surgery, uh, different types of surgery like a hysteroscopy, DNC, C-section, pelvic infections, cancer treatment for the cervix. Um, but one thing that's not indicated in this are IUDs. Now, I wonder if that's, I had a client who like never got a period. So she, you know, got to about 16, 17 or whatever, or maybe earlier than that. And her parent, her mom was like, you know, this is not right. And she had something like this, except it was already there. Like her, her uterus was just full of scar tissue. Hmm. So I don't, I don't know if it's related to that syndrome. I never, I'm going to look it up, but. Um, I don't know. 
and she said the name of it and I wrote it down of course somewhere but it's an interesting so she basically never got a period and will never her uterus is like just full of scar tissue so she that's can awful never, yeah it's uh it's you know not a well, to find out that you can't have children that's, that's I, I mean I think it's very rare yeah I'd like to know more about that see what, if you can find out what, what like, can yeah find something and put it in the notes yeah um one thing they do know is that it's not ge uh, genetic because it is acquired. So the symptoms that you may have are light periods or no periods, severe cramping or pelvic pain, difficulty getting or staying pregnant. Because you can imagine that they may have a miscarriage or a stillborn because the baby doesn't have room to grow with all the, the, the scar tissue and thickening inside there. The diagnosis is, like usual, uh, ultrasound, hysteroscopy, saline infusion, sonography. And the treatment basically is they want to relieve the pain associated with it, restore normal periods, and help the woman to get pregnant. So that's Asherman syndrome. Next, we have endometrial hyperplasia. The lining of the uterus, the endometrium, becomes unusually thick due to having too many cells. And this raises the risk of developing endometrial cancer. It's pretty rare. Um, 133 out of 100,000 women will get it. Risk factors. Tamoxifen, which is a, a breast cancer treatment. Diabetes. Early age menstruation. You'll find that the, they're very, it's the same sort of symptom, um, risk factors or causes um, for all these conditions, early age menstruation, late onset menopause, family history of ovarian, uterine, or colon cancer, gallbladder disease, hormone therapy, never getting pregnant, obesity, polycystic ovary syndrome, smoking, thyroid disease, being um, Caucasian, long history of irregular or absent menstruation. Now there are two types of this. You have your simple normal looking cells that aren't likely to become cancerous. And then you have your simple or complex atypical cells that can lead to cancer. Okay, cause. Women who produce too much estrogen and not enough progesterone. So a normal cycle is when, you know, ovulation, estrogen increases, the endometrium thickens, the progesterone prepares the uterus for pregnancy. No pregnancy, progesterone drops. Triggers the uterus to shed its lining. But with this, you're making little with any progesterone, and the uterus doesn't shed its lining. It continues to thicken and grow. Oh. So the symptoms, abnormal periods, short cycles, unusually long periods, missed periods, bleeding after menopause. So they diagnose it with the same tools, ultrasound biopsy, hysteroscopy. Complications, anemia, abnormal or heavy bleeding when it does shed, and cancer. 30% of women who don't get treatment will develop uterine cancer. That's a pretty significant percentage. It is. Okay, treatment, oral progesterone. A progesterone-releasing IUD injections of Depo-Provera, and the outlook is good with progesterone treatment. So, so that's, that's that. 
Next, we're going to move on to retroverted uterus, also known as the tilted uterus. So it is a uterus that curves in a backward position. Made me think of the tilt-a-whirl. Whee! <laughs> oh my God. Do you want to go faster? How are you guys enjoying Mary today? <laughs> this is a side of Mary that you guys don't see. I get to. I'm a cheeky growl sometimes. No, no, I love it. I love it when you're you're all silly like this. It's 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 awesome. The old tilted uterus. Yeah. Come and take a ride. <laughs> <laughs> you should be doing the the writing for my 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 uh, uterus comic. Okay. okay. So it's a uterus that curves in a backward position at the cervix instead of a forward position, and then you also have something called the antiverted uterus in which it tilts forward rather than backwards but we're going to talk about the retroverted uterus symptoms some experience no symptoms uh, those that do will feel pain um, in the lower back during sex pain during menstruation trouble inserting tampons increased urinary frequency feeling a pressure in the bladder utis mild incontinence and protrusion of the lower abdomen causes Genetics, born with it. Endometriosis, the scar tissue or adhesive scars can cause the uterus to stick into a backwards position, almost like gluing it in place. Fibroids can cause the uterus to become stuck or misshapen or tilted backwards. Pelvic inflammatory disease, again, the scarring, similar to endometriosis. History of pelvic surgery, scarring. You see there's a, a theme here. Previous pregnancy, ligaments holding the uterus in place become overly stretched during pregnancy and stay that way. And this may allow the, the uterus to tip backwards. So let's talk about retroverted uterus and fertility. So a retroverted uterus doesn't usually affect the ability to conceive unless it's caused or complicated by other conditions. Okay. And this is treatable and correctable through minor surgery. So things like endometriosis, fibroids, uh, PID, they complicate this further. So you get pregnant. What, what are you going to experience? So it doesn't usually affect the viability of pregnancy. Your first trimester, um, it can create more pressure on the bladder. can cause an increased incontinence or difficulty urinating. Back pain. Uterus at this point though, should expand and straighten towards the end of the first trimester. And between 10 and 12 weeks, the uterus um, will lift out of the pelvis and no longer tip backwards. But it may not be able to make the shift if it's caused by adhesions that keep the uterus stuck into the pelvis. And this is called an incarcerated uterus. And if that's the case, you have an increased risk of miscarriage. When discovered early, it can be fixed, reducing or eliminating miscarriage risks. So let your doctor know if you're having um, an, a consistent inability to urinate or have pain in your stomach or near the rectum, constipation, incontinence, and these all are symptoms of an um, incarcerated uterus. So you get into the third trimester. It shouldn't be a problem at that stage, like we said, because the uterus should be sort of forced back into its normal position. And how, how the best treatment for this? Well, exercise. Kegel, 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 Kegel. 
Everybody Kegel. Are you Kegeling right now, Mary? Yes. I'm Kegeling. Too much information. I want you guys all who are listening to this on the count of three, Kegel. One and a two and a three and a... Kegel. What does a Kegel sound like? Okay, let's, we're going too far. I'm still stuck on the incarcerated uterus. I've got a cartoon for that too. Oh God. It's going to be behind bars, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, so um, Kegels, uh, knee to chest stretches and pelvic um, contractions. So just, yeah, squeeze. Um, if it's incarcerated, pessaries may be put in place, like we talked about, that will prop up the uterus. Um, but you can't have that permanently because it uh, causes an increased risk of infection. And the outlook, it rarely infects your fertility, like we said, or pregnancy, unless it's associated with another condition. All right, we're going to talk about congenital uterine anomaly, anomalies. So these are defects of the uterine development and shape that occur during uh, intrauterine life. I found this really interesting because it gets into the physiology, biology, anatomy of things. So I, I really, I didn't really know about this. And uh, so it's kind of cool. It's a, it was a learning experience for me. Okay, so less than 5% of all women have this, but a quarter of women who have had miscarriages or preterm deliveries have had such defects as this. So this is where I, it was a big learning experience for me. The female organs develop in the malarian ducts. So these are a pair of organs that are there in interuterine life to help develop. And each produces half a uterus and one fallopian tube. As time goes on, they fuse together to make the uterus whole with two fallopian, uh, fallopian tubes on each side. So the interruption of this normal development leads to abnormal uterine development and defects in the mature uterus. So there's different types. You have the septate uterus. So it looks completely normal on the outside, but it is separated on the inside into two different valves by a septum of varying size and thickness. So you have two endometrial cavities and it's the most common. Yeah, I know I had somebody who had that. And it's 45% of the cases uh, of this have it. So basically this is where you'd hear, oh, this woman has two vaginas. Okay, doesn't really have two vaginas. <laughs> okay, then there's- a there, bifurcate vagina. <laughs> well, the next one is bicornuate. Oh, okay, I was close. Um, it's an external indentation or groove can be found on the outside of the uterus. And then there's a division internally into two endometrial cavities. Two halves of the uterus may appear almost completely separate except for the lower part. And this happens in 25% of women. Then Wait, you so is it kind of heart-shaped? I don't know if it's heart-shaped. It's oh, just, okay. yeah. I've heard of that before. Then you have the arcuate uterus. I hope I'm saying this right. Um, looks normal, but the internal surface of the single endometrial cavity shows a shadow groove of one centimeter or less. So there's, instead of being smooth and even on the inside, there's a, there's a groove. And this happens to 7% of women. Don't laugh when I say this one. Okay. Unicornuate. Only half of the uterus develops from a single malarian duct. So you get half a uterus, one fallopian tube. And this happens in 50%, 15% of women. 
and then there's the next is a uterus uh, didelphus or didelphus, um, and basically two halves of the uterus develop completely separate. And this happens in 7.5% of the women. And then there's uterusogenesis, where there, a uterus doesn't form at all. And this is 10% of women with uterine anomalies have this. So it's not 10%. It's just 10% out of all of them. So the two most common ones, like I discussed, are the septate and the bicornate uterus. So to sum this up, the septate and the bicornate uterus anomalies are the most common. The arcuate uterus does not have any significant clinical impact and is considered to be a variant of normal. So that's the one where there's like... Um, Just one side? No, it has like, um, a, like a little groove. Oh, right. The one with a little lip. Yeah. Okay. So what causes this? Well, scientists aren't completely sure, but there's one thing that they did see between 1940 to 1971 that that generation of women that were born in that time um, had an increased risk of uterine anomalies. And they believe it's because women were given uh, a drug, an estrogen analog uh, that was prescribed between 1940 and 1971 to prevent miscarriage and preterm delivery. So they believe that drug had led to that period of time, at least they can pinpoint that it may have been caused, like any of these anomalies caused by that. Another drug that was giving, given during that time is thalidomide, and that's a whole other subject that I'm going to touch on. Yes. Okay. So there are no risk factors or preventative factors. So you can't say that if I had this much to drink or if I was overweight or that there's no factors that it just you're no born with it kind of yeah most women have no symptoms some might have some dysmenorrhea or painful periods but it's usually discovered when searching for a reason why a woman can't get pregnant there's infertility issues or on a routine pelvic exam and usually what they do is an mri or a transvaginal uh, ultrasound also too Many women who have these anomalies also have renal uh, defects, okay? Like renalogenesis, the absence of one kidney. So that's sort of, or a duplex kidney. So it looks like, you know, this may be part of a syndrome. Hmm. And the treatment is surgical repair or reconstruction. All right. Next, we're going to talk about uterine polyps. These are growths attached to the inner wall of the uterus that extend into the uterine cavity. It's caused by an overgrowth of cells in the endometrium. They are usually non-cancerous, although some of them can become cancerous. They range inside from a small seed to a golf ball or bigger. They attach to the uterine wall by a large base or a thick stalk. And that just... <laughs> they can have... You can have one or many... And they usually stay within the uterus, but they can slip down through the cervix into the vagina. That's a big polyp. Mm -hmm. They mostly occur in women who are going through or have completed menopause, but some younger women can get them. So what are the symptoms? If it's premenopausal, you can have 
um, irregular menstrual bleeding, frequent unpredictable periods, or different lengths of periods and heaviness. Bleeding between menstrual periods, excessively heavy menstrual periods, vaginal bleeding after menopause, and infertility. And some women have no symptoms, same as before, or mild ones like spotting. But if you are postmenopausal and you're spotting, you need to see the damn doctor immediately. Mm-hmm. Causes. Hormonal factors. Uterine polyps are estrogen sensitive. So they grow in response to circulating estrogen. Risk factors. Um, being perimenopausal, postmenopausal, hypertension, obesity, again, taking tamoxifen for breast cancer treatment. It's diagnosed through a transvaginal ultrasound, hysteroscopy, or and uh, endometrial biopsy. And they want to do that to send off to see if there's any precancerous or cancerous issues in there. So the treatment, watchful waiting. Small polyps sometimes resolve themselves and uh, don't need to be removed unless there is a risk of cancer. Medication. So um, hormonal medications like progestins, like we talked about, the um, GRHA, that lessen symptoms. But it's not good to take it long term. Again, because an excess or too too much or too little of these hormones can cause uh, wreak havoc on a woman's body. And... um, and then polyps will return after, um, and the symptoms will return after this medication stops. So this is sort of like a, a, an in-between sort of treatment to see what happens. Um, of course, you can have surgical removal and then a biopsy done. Um, and if it is cancer, then you're going to start a cancer treatment with your, or discuss it with your physician. And on that note, the last thing we're going to talk about today are is uterine cancer. So there are two types of uterine cancer. Sometimes they're said in like together, like it's, you know, interchangeably, like it's the same thing, but it's not. So endometrial cancer, it develops in the endometrium. And it's the most common of all gynecological cancers. And then the second one is called uterine sarcoma, and that's in the myometrium, the muscle of the uterus. And um, but this is incredibly rare. Yeah, I was gonna say, and how which one's more dangerous? Like a sarcoma to me is always like, ooh, that's not good. Oh, they're both both quite dangerous. But yeah, um, yeah. Well, just because endometrial tissue generates like every month, right? Yeah, but it also can. Um, cause these cells to grow and multiply, right? So risks. You've got your usual suspects here. But um, so something that causes uh, causes an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone, age after 50, diet high in animal fat, family history, diabetes, obesity, ovarian diseases like PCOS, early menstruation before 12, late menstruation, late menopause after 50, long menstruation, the length of it. So if you're, it's kind of the same thing. If you got it when you were 12 and then you, you had it until you were 50 something like that's like 40, 50, like 40, 45 years of 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 (laughs) not getting pregnant, uh, due to 
the increased exposure to estrogen. Um, early radiation therapy in the pelvis for an, another um, cancer. Estrogen replacement uh, therapy. You need to talk to your doctor about that if you know you want to know if that if it's worth it for you. And tamoxifen, the breast cancer uh, treatment. So the symptoms: vaginal bleeding between periods, vaginal bleeding or spotting post menopause. Go see your doctor. Tough old broads. I'll be fine. Lower abdominal pain and cramping. A thin white or clear vaginal discharge post menopause. Extremely prolonged, heavy, or frequent vaginal bleeding if you're under 40. Diagnosis, physical exam, pelvic exam. Also the CA-125 uh, blood test that determines the protein level, how much is being uh, broken down and released into your body. Uh, and it's the number is less than 46. Um, imaging tests, CT scans, MRI, transvaginal. Other tests would be an endometrial biopsy. Um, hysteroscopy, uh, DNC, also for a biopsy. So the type and stage of your cancer equals the treatment that you will get. So type 1, it's uh, less aggressive, usually doesn't spread. Type 2 is more aggressive and is more likely to spread outside of the uterus and may need a stronger treatment. Then you have stage 1, hasn't spread. Stage 2, it's into the cervix. Three, it spread into the vagina, ovaries, or other or lymph nodes. And stage four, it is now spread. It has now spread into the bladder and metastasized to other areas of the body. So, for instance, if you had stage one, type one, you have a a, a good um, chance of of recovery. So the treatments are chemotherapy, radiation, hormone therapy to increase or block certain hormones. Immunotherapy, you want to abuse the, uh, boost the immune system, and targeted therapy where they go after very specific cancer cells. Um, and then surgery, total hysterectomy, vaginal hysterectomy, or radical hysterectomy. So some people think a total hysterectomy and a radical hysterectomy are the same, but they're not because a radical hysterectomy removes the uterus and tissues next to the uterus. The top part of the vagina that is next to the cervix. So that's massive uh, surgery. And, um, or you may have a minimally invasive hy uh, hysterectomy de de depending on how advanced it is. And along with that, you can also maybe get um, a oophorectomy, removing one or both of the ovaries and uh, lymph node dissection. The survival rate is five years, 81% survival rate. But say a ty the type 1 stage 1 is 95% in 5 years. They usually only give like the 5 year. It doesn't mean you're going to die after 5 years. It just means that they can pretty much say that that is the survival rate to that time. So okay. so that's, that's the uh, episode today on the uterus. A complex organ. Now, I know we made some jokes and stuff throughout the thing. But, you know, um, women's... Um, you know, a disease of our reproductive system. I mean, there's, there's, it's a major part of our, of our, of existence, mm -hmm. of our, of our living and, yeah. and lots of things, like I said, can go wrong because it's so complex and hormones, the hormones are so significant. 
so powerful that a lot of things can go topsy-turvy to the point of also being very serious um, to our reproductive system. And we have to keep a close eye on it. So, you know, women um, historically don't want to go get help for um, reproductive uh, issues because, you know, uh, it's just a woman thing and they're being emotional and that's just life and just suck it up and everything like that. No, these are very serious things and you should not have to live with suffering if there are treatments for it. Yeah, for sure. And some, like I said, some women just think that, that having a very painful, heavy period is normal because, oh, their family, everybody's like that, but that's not. It's just part of life, you know, it's, it's just. It's not yeah. the norm, right? To it have isn't. a really heavy period so you're anemic the point where you're anemic or like you said you shouldn't have to take a percocet (laughs) for something that's supposed to be normal and natural so ladies let's get our regular checkups let's talk to our our doctors or nurse practitioners gynecologists if things do not seem uh, you know it within the norm take care of yourself take care of your bodies put that first put that ahead I know it's hard when you have a family. I know it's hard in this busy uh, life that we live. And with all this, the things like COVID that have, have st- made it difficult for us to see our doctors or get in. But, you know, please don't let your health, especially your reproductive health, that where things can be dismissed or overlooked. Take care of yourselves, ladies. We love our ladies. We love our moms and our aunts and our, our best friends and, you know, sons and, and grandsons and husbands and friends. They, they love you too. And wives. And wives. That's right. Okay. So that's how I'm going to end this note. Next women's health um, episode, we're going to be talking about fallopian tubes and ovaries but uterus she's a big batch a lot of stuff to talk about she gets her own episode she gets her own episode and part of another one the one before it right exactly okay so i hope you guys are doing well in this crazy crazy world that we live in with all this stuff going on but remember that you're amazing and there are also really wonderful things happening in this world and to take care of yourself Take care of one another. And most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out. Yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't want to be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in. Learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable. Yeah. Subscribe. Make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.